Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Drasha Deconstructed. I'm Rabbi Yitzhi Ganak, and I'm here with my co-host... Rabbi Scott Hoberman. It's such a pleasure to be back. And we have a very special guest this week. This week we have Rabbi Ari Zatz, Associate Rabbi at Congregation B'nai Yishur in a fantastic shul in Teaneck, New Jersey, and a Magid Shir right here in Yeshiva University. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Such a pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. And this week we are going to Darshan Parshas Vayigash. Wow. Um, Rabbi Zatz, is there a source that you'd like to start with? I thought maybe we'd just start right at the beginning. There's a, a fast... No rabbis often do that. So I hope our audience pays attention. Often <laughs> rabbis give their drushes right at the beginning of the Parsha. Have you noticed that, Rabbi Zatz? I have. For a while I was considering always starting from Shvi because you avoid that rush of things at the beginning of the Parsha. But something happens to stand out at the beginning of the Parsha. So okay, so let's hear we'll, we'll stick to that. Should go through the whole Parsha. And then you realize it was uh, really right there the whole time. What you wanted was really right there. It yeah. was like the treasure under the under the bridge. It's a famous yeah. story. Okay, exactly. So right at the beginning, Vayigash, I love Yehuda. Right, Yehuda is approaching Yosef, and this language of Vayigash. What's the significance? What exactly does it mean? What's his goal? So the Balaturim writes, Vayigash elov Yehuda begematria zehu lihilachim im Yosef. This is to fight with Yosef. I did not do the math. I'm sure somebody will uh, fact check us, but that's what the Balaturim writes. And he also writes, Begematria gam nichnas lefayes. That he also came to be mefayes, to appease. Delishlosha dvarim nichnas. That he came to accomplish three things. So, interesting first is that he only mentions two of the three things. He only tells us that he was coming to fight. He only tells us that he was coming to be Mephais, to appease Yosef. But in some versions of the Baal Turm, it says, Ayin Rashi. Uh, you should look in Rashi. And that Rashi seems to be a Rashi earlier in Sefer Bereshis. Rashi in Perak Yud Ches, Pasuk Chav Gimel, Vayigash Avraham, where Rashi tells us that Matsinu Hagasha Lemachama. Now we have Hagasha, this language of Hagasha being used when it comes to make, waging war, Vayigash Yoav, and it's in the context of Yoav. Hagasha Lepius, Vayigash Elov Yehuda, and Hagasha Letfila, and Hagasha is as a Tfila as well. So it's interesting on several levels. Right? So what's the common denominator between the Shorish of Vayigash and all these three things? What exactly does it mean here? The Baal is saying that he came for all three. Rashi seems to be saying that it was just one. But how exactly do they all work together if, in fact, there is this Hagasha that he's approaching him to accomplish all three of these? How does that take place? The Medrash obviously is not teaching us just a grammatical lesson about uh, the diktuk and what the word Hagasha means. It seems to be that there's probably something more fundamental about what Hagasha is and what Yehuda was trying to accomplish. I think as a, as a point where, you, where, you're, where you're adding from this, this uh, Balaturim is that Balaturim is offering an interpretation of that Rashi. That Rashi offered them as independent translations and the Balaturim is saying, no, they all apply at once. And then the question comes up, it's a really, I think, maybe a twofold question. question first part of the question is, where was the tefillah? Right. In Yehuda is threatening or negotiating 
with Yosef. But where's the tefillah? Right, the Baltrum conveniently just quoted the two shots that read in nicely. Yeah, but he was bold. I don't think he was afraid to quote what he was thinking. I mean, he tells us it's all three and you have to check well, Rashi. Right. There was no gematria for the third. Right, and that, that was might also, he wasn't interested, he wasn't interested te- te- in the other problem. Yeah, or he left it for us. Right, and the, the second verse does, in the in the shot of the Balaturim, when, when we, I don't know what he's saying yet, but when we figure it out, are these three independent um, aspects of what Yehuda is doing? Certainly he's coming to negotiate, to be Matthias, to appease Yosef, to try to get Binyam back, and he's also willing to fight with him. Yehuda put, has a lot on the line. Right. Um, so those are two separate things. Is the tefillah, once we figure out what that tefillah is, is that a reinforcement of the other two parts and they're all working together, the three parts are working together, or these are three separate um, approaches that Yehuda takes at the same time with with Yosef? Right, meaning when he says, nichnas, what exactly does that right. mean? Is What's the th- interplay? Right, is it a three three separate prongs of attack, three different directions, or somehow it's multifaceted within... The right. one approach that he's but, taking. Right. You're one, saying it's possible that, like, simultaneously doing all three. Right. I mean, the one pa- a simple explanation could be what the what the Baal tour means is that his tefillah was he was praying that my negotiations or my threats should be successful. Right. So he was he was at the same time that he was he was trying to work with Yosef. He was also simultaneously trying to ask Hashem to give him success in that in those endeavors. Does it make, before we get to the tefillah part, even the first two, that you're trying to appease someone and trying to fight with them, can those be simultaneous? Or those are, like, he's switching off? And we kind of see that with... both plans just in case. Right. We kind of see that with North Korea. Like, we're not really friends with North Korea, and I don't know whether or not our negotiations are successful or not successful, but even when we pretend to speak nice, when we speak nicely to them, nobody thinks that, that we... I hope they're not listening. I hope they're not listening. <laughs> they probably are. Right. Exactly. I heard that we have many listeners from North Korea, and I'd like to give a shout out to our listeners in North Korea. But um, the the you 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 speak softly, but you carry a big stick, and that's understood. Yosef would have understood that, and Yehuda certainly understood that. I I, I think that's maybe how the, those two prongs would work. Right. Just another thing I would add to this discussion. I think it's interesting. These three methods, whether they're happening at the same time or not, of coming to fight, to appease someone, and at the same time to be dominating. Those are the three things that Yaakov does at the beginning of Parshas Vayishlach, when Esau is coming point. with all his soldiers, Yaakov sends the gifts, that's to appease him, he's ready to combat, he's ready to divide up his family, strategically planning, and he's dominating. Right. So and that below was in order to give efficacy to his other two things to try to appease to appease uh, Esau, which actually worked in the end. And the Muhammad was the fallback claim. Whatever it is, I should let, let, it, let it be successful right. by my family. And so that right. simultaneously answers your question from before. And if you can have the Pius and the Muhammad at the same time, if you take that approach, which is that as long as the Pius is working, you see that by Yaakov it did work. Yaakov was able right. to succeed. And the Muhammad isn't the goal, but it's the last resort option. But I don't imagine like Yaakov like you know, around holding a sword, like getting ready for battle as he's dominating Shmona Asrei. Like, I assume, like, he puts one down, pick up the sitter, like they're happening at different times. But here, it's like, there it's explicitly happening in the text that Yaakov's dominating. Here, you don't see anything like that. Right. So I think. Right. And the fact that it's all hinted to in one word would seem to indicate right. that somehow there's a, a 
know, deeper connection between my, the three. My Rebbe likes to point out that when multiple things are included in one word, so they are connected to each other. There's a Hekish, quotes the Gemara Nivamos, about Hekesha uh, de Rebbe Yona, that the Arias are all connected to each other because they're in, with, included in the word Ela. And we know that Zachar and Shamor were Bediber Echa Nemru, were said simultaneously as one word, and that's where there's a connection between Kiddush and Malacha of Shabbos. Or Ilsen used to quote that all the time. Interesting. Um, if a word encapsulates multiple things, then they're connected to each other. Now, I was just thinking, right, Hoban, as you were talking, maybe the, 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 this Medrash is not telling us that Yehuda in Vayigash a love was davening for something. Maybe he wasn't asking that Tzvila was not to, um, to ask Hashem to save him and help bring him success in saving Binyamin. Maybe it was a different kind of Tzvila. Maybe what he what maybe what it means is that Vaigash a love through his negotiations with Yosef, Yehuda was coming close, was Vaigash to Hashem. Right. And I, I think we've all had this experience that when, when you're like sometimes you dive with inspiration and sometimes you dive with less inspiration. But when you feel like stress and you need something and you understand the value of Tfila so then you, you find that as an opportunity to feel connected to Hashem. And whether you are successful in what you're looking for or you're not, but you, that the experience of connecting of tefillah can be elevating. Do you, do you, know you, mean, you, mean that, you don't mean that, in the, or maybe you do, in the context of the Ramban versus the Rambam in terms of tefillah-based tzara, in terms of the, the, the mechaev in That's tefillah. a very deep shot in what I was saying. <laughs> what, I, what I mean is... Um, that it's through struggles that we can often connect to Hashem. So, and it's not, it's not that we, you know, Hashem answered us. I'm like, wow, you know, I got this great gift, so now I love God. It's not always like that, because sometimes we get it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes Hashem says yes, sometimes Hashem says no. But if you use that opportunity when you're struggling to ask Hashem for it, so no matter what his answer is, you came out stronger from the process. Right. And and that's what Vayigash love Yehuda. Yehuda was coming close to Hashem because this was a this was a, a, a great moment in his life. It was of great danger and of great importance. And he knew he knows that. And the way he deals with it is both through um Pius, trying to appease Yosef, and at the same time threatening Yosef for Muhammad. Um, but because of the, the great emotion that was there and the great risk, so he connects to Hashem in that. Like, he feels like, wow, Hashem, I'm really in your hands. He feels vulnerable. He feels, he feels um, scared. And, and, and that's what it means, Vayigash, I love. It's almost as if the, the, the Shorash itself of Vayigash is the Tvila, it's the Pegisha, it's the encountering with the Ribbono Shalom of the experience. Right, that's that very is, beautiful. That, that is, that's, that's part of what right. Tvila that's is. That's the Shad and Rashi earlier. Why right. is Vayigash coming close? Why is that the language of Tvila, of right. prayer? Because you're coming close to what? It's the Ribbono Shalom, it's that, it's that communicative you know, experience of, of being close to Hashem and not necessarily even, I think is what you're adding, not necessarily even the words that you're saying, but it's the experience it's the experience of itself at, right. those, at that time. Right. Of this, this, is, this touches on why tefillah exists. Like all the, the, the Gemaras and Midrash and Rishonim, 
Rashi talks about in Parshish why is it that tefillah exists? For what purpose? Like, if Hashem knows what we need, so it just gives us, why do we have to ask for it? So, and I think one broad and simple but profound way of looking at tefillah, and this is how I try to look at it, is that the purpose of tefillah is that I recognize that all the things that I need come from Hashem, that I, that I can talk to Hashem. It's, it's, the experience is impactful on me as I go through it. If I never had tetavin, so then I would never be thinking about Hashem. The fact that I have the opportunity and the need for it is something that changes my life. We're, 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 we're blessed to be able to bless Hashem. It's interesting that the, we learn tefillah from the Avos, Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, Shachas, Menchamarev, but the, the words that we, I think, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, the words that we, the verbs that are used in the Chumash that we learn tefillah from are not words that would necessarily translate as davening, but then right. through other means. Like Vayashkem, Avram Baboker. Right, or Lasuach, doesn't mean that he's talking to Hashem. Who was Yaakov's? It was Vayifka, which is actually almost similar. Oh, it's it's almost as if Yehuda, maybe by Vayifka Bamakom, it was a pegia, it was an encounter. It's almost as if Yehuda picked up on the tefillah of his father, Vayigash, and right. understand that, that it's about, it's not just about a conversation, but Lasuach, Right, a sicha is a conversation. Right. That's about the the substance of the communication, but a a pigia, or in this case a pigisha, is is about the experience of the the two parties. No, the the you know the experience of the encounter with the uh, with the Rebbeinu Shalom himself. And Yaakov's encounter with Hashem at Har Maria when he falls asleep um, is probably the greatest vision that Yaakov has in his life. I mean, he davens, he falls asleep, and he sees God standing on the ladder, um, at the top, standing above the ladder, and the angels are going up and down. And he, at that point, Yaakov has promised all of the land of Israel and that his children will be a great nation. So it's, it's, it starts with the, Yaakov approaches Hashem, and in that case, um, Hashem responds and approaches Yaakov, and also similar to ya- between Yaakov over there and Yehud over here, those are times of great stress, right? Yaakov is leaving the land of his of his ancestors. Yaakov is running away from Esav. Yaakov, it's dark. He's scared of wild animals, Rashi says, from around him. Um, and at that time, he prays to Hashem. Yaakov is the, 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 the Av who spends the most time in Gullus. And Yehuda is now in the darkness that Yaakov saw all around him, looking around at the howling, uh, the the hyenas and afraid and trying to protect himself and make sure that the Jewish people go on. Who knows what's going to happen to me? Right, and everything's been crashing down the last uh, you know, two weeks of, of, of Parshios has seen their, their family being torn apart and everything they're trying to do is just to get some, some food. Everything's somehow getting flipped on its head and everything's uh, becoming problematic. You can only imagine, you know, the what Yehuda's thinking at a time right, like this. Right. Yehuda, Yehuda's Tehillim would have been drenched with his tears and the sweat of his fear. Right. In, in a drusha, would you take this the direction, like, would you, let's try to, like, break this pacto for people. Would you talk about tefillah? It's, like, davening? Or would you, like, bring it another direction of times in life when you're stressed or doing other things and how those can be a religious experience, too? Like, what are we saying here? I think we started with the second one, yeah, and then we kind of transitioned to the first one. I right. think the first and, one and, reads they, better, and they here. do overlap a little bit. In truth, right? Is, is that, in it's, what at way? The, it's at those moments of, of stress when 
when we don't always know where to turn, that we have to, you know, turn towards Hakadosh Baruch Hu and realize that it's 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 an opportunity. It's a it's a time of of relationship. It's a time when not just because we have nothing else. You know, it's not like when the uh, you know the doctor says it's all in God's hands now, and you know we take that with the negative. It's always been in God's hands, obviously, not just when there's nothing left to do. But if it, when things are stressful, we turn towards Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Then I think we train ourselves to be people who constantly communicate with Hakadosh right. Baruch Hu. We realize that it's all the time. You know, sometimes the the most powerful tefillahs I mention this in shul often is sometimes the the more, most important tefillahs and the most powerful ones are the ones that aren't in the context of our normal davening. Sometimes in the context of davening, we take it a little bit for granted, and we get lost in the words and you know. Sometimes we need to say it right. to us before we start Shemona Esrei. Mm-hmm. Who knows where we're right. going to end up. But, you know, the times when you're going to be going, you know, over the uh, George Washington Bridge and you really don't want there to be, you know, any traffic, you know, those are times, it's a good time for, uh, for a tefillah. That's what Rabbi Nachman would say. Rabbi Nachman's, Rabbi Nachman's a big proponent of always talking to Hashem. I think he, he said that life is a conversation, something like that. Um, and he is... And his followers um, always have like these comments, always commenting to Hashem and asking and thanking and just commenting along the way because it cre- cre- creates that relationship. By gosh, it's right. that, it's that relationship. I think also, unfortunately, sometimes when something stressful is going on in your life and you're so nervous about something, you're so worried about something, you can't pay attention at all during davening because you're so concerned right. about and that's right. the time that you need it. Right. Right. There's a certain irony that exists. Rabbi Parrot likes to speak about that when he gives his tefillah or whatever after Mincha here that sometimes, like, sometimes you find yourself at the end of Shemona Esri and it's like I'm so worried about this other thing like here I am talking to Hashem and you use the time the anyway you see, and, and you spent the five minutes davening anyway so yeah. you, why not use that time in the most productive way. Right. It's all right. right. Although we understand that it's hard 100%. to get that mindset. So, Ray Zeth, let me ask you, um, what, if you, if you were giving a drasha on this, what would you add? Would you add a story? Would you add a message? Would you, some component that would kind of add a framework or an image to the conversation? And I, I wouldn't put you on the spot except that you're a guest on my podcast. So I'm happy to put you on the spot to find out. <laughs> Stories are not necessarily my strong point. I don't believe and that. I, <laughs> I've heard your stories, and they're excellent. And I, I, I often go for the practical lessons, but there is a story that comes to mind that maybe relates a little bit to what we've been talking about, which is a story of the great Rosh Hashiva of Baruch Bear. When he was just a child, it's hard to imagine what he would have done wrong, but he did something wrong. I guess, you know, the art school book maybe will have to come out to tell us exactly what he would have done wrong as a child. He did something wrong, and he got in trouble, and his father had punished him. And he often went off into the corner, and he was crying as often children do when they're in trouble from their parents. And a little while later, his father came back and noticed that he was davening mincha. And his father was watching him. Why are you davening mincha? There's plenty of time still to daven mincha. Why right now? So he finishes davening, and his father asks him, why Why were you davening mincha? So he said, if I have a moment when I'm already crying, why should those tears go to waste? Can I, I want to take those tears and put those tears into my tefillah. And, and translate that moment of, of, of stress in his life, and for a child getting in trouble with a parent is a stressful experience, and turn that into a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Even as a child, he had that sensitivity. And I think that's part of what we've been, we've been talking about here, of trying to understand a little bit the perspective of where Yehuda was coming from, and uh, 
how that experience was uh, something which he understood was just not just on a practical level, but on a spiritual level, was part of his way and need to connect to the Rebona Shalom. I think that's fantastic. That is such a great story. And Thank we, you. And we think of I mean, the pictures we have of Baruch Bear, this like fiery adult who's, I and mean, we know he was uh, very sharp and very strong-willed, um, and a great student of his teacher, Rebchayim. Um, and it's just interesting to see him as a child, um, and they, you know, upset like a, another kid, and, and but he he elevated. He used feel as a way of elevating his regular emotional experiences. That's really so beautiful. I think we can go right into uh, at this point. Take all our raw material and our our, our brainstorming. There's so much richness here, and to put it into a finished form, a short Russia. What do you think, Razat? Let's go for it. Right, Holman, you're on board? Sounds great. I think it's great. This was so much fun. We had such a, you know, before the Joshua, I just want to thank all our listeners who listen each week and to remind you to uh, to share the podcast, share the love, and also remember to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts and on Google Podcasts. Um, I've heard we're also on Spotify, but I don't know anybody who listens to podcasts on Spotify. In North Korea. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Kim Jong-un, he, uh, he listens to Spotify. Um, okay, that's ready. Here we go. You know, we don't normally turn to the Medrash and assume that it's going to be a dictionary for us and tell us simply how to translate words. And yet at the beginning of our parasha, Vayigash love Yehuda, the Balaturim, quotes from the Medrash, again, in his way of uh, connecting it to Gematria, and says, Vayigash love Yehuda, but Gematria zeholu yilachem imyosev. In Gematria, it's coming to wage war. In Yosef, in Gematria, also, it's coming to teach us that he came to appease him. That he came for three things. And that is a connection to the Medrash, because the Medrash says earlier in Perik Yudches, in Sefer Bereshis, that when it comes to Avram Avinu, Matzinu Hagasha, Lishlosha Dvarim, that the Shorish of Hagasha, of coming close to something, is used in three contexts. And those three contexts are for milchama, for war, lepiyus, to appease, and finally, for tefillah. Balturim didn't mention tefillah at all, but he says that it's for all three. So what exactly is going on here when it comes to Yehuda? Where do all three of them come together? And if, as we've heard and we've seen, that they, that if you have one word in the Torah, and the Medrash is telling us that it has multiple meanings, there has to be that there's some sort of common denominator between them. So certainly the fact that he came to wage war and he came to appease, those are the more obvious explanations and interpretations of what Yehuda was doing. Similar to what we said that Yaakov Avinu, when he comes to preparing for the encounter with Esav, he prepares, sends him gifts, there's the appeasement, there's, it might be necessary to fight the war, I'm ready to fight the war, but where exactly, and, and those parts go hand in hand, those parts are connected, but where exactly does the tefillah come into that? Did he separate, you know, sit down, does Davin Shemoneser on the side? doesn't sound like that's what's going on here. We have no mention of that anywhere in the Pesukim here. And again, as we said, it's all part of one word. And what it seems to be is that there's an element of tefillah, which is Vayigashe, love Yehuda, is that in the moment of the stress of realizing so much is riding on what Yehuda's going to do right now. He's fighting for the future of Klal Yisrael, as far as he knows. Yosef, who doesn't know, is Yosef is trying to take away Binyamin, take away the, the brothers, tear apart the Shifteka, the Shvatim, the tribes 
of the future of the Jewish people, Yehuda has to stand up and he's ready to make war. But at the same time, if Aigashi love Yehuda, there's also a, a component of Aigashi love is connecting and having a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And in the depths of that experience, he understands that it's about tefillah as well. And sometimes that's not a tefillah which gets articulated in the classic sense, but it's about realizing, understanding, and appreciating that it's the Ribbono Shalom, and it's only God Himself who's going to determine whether I succeed or whether I don't succeed. And having the wherewithal and having the mindset at those times to be able to zero in and focus not just on Yosef, but also on HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Vayigash, Eilav Yehuda, that you're coming close to, that he's coming close not just to Yosef, but Yehuda's also coming close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is a tremendous effort by Yehuda and a tremendous lesson for us as well, that this taking the elements of, of the experiences of life and realizing that it's about a opportunity to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu because there are different types of tefillah. As we saw when it comes to the different avos, they had different ways of conversing. But when it came to, whether it was Vayashkem Avram Bavokir, whether it was Lasuach Basada, when it came to Yitzchak, it was about a conversation. But Yaakov's tefillah, Yaakov the father of Yehuda, was a Vayivgaba Makom. It was an experiential tefillah. It was about having that meeting, and that meeting itself, and connecting to HaKadosh Baruch in that way was part of the tefillah, and that's why Yigashe love Yehuda, that's why Yehuda understood as well. Yehuda understood that at those moments, it defines who I am. Am I a person, va'anit tefillah, as Chazal tells us, I am in essence, part of, part of me is tefillah, is that who I am? Because I want to connect to HaKadosh Baruch because that's really what tefillah is about. Hashem can give me everything that I need without talking to Him. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to have that relationship. He wants us to turn to Him. He wants us to converse to Him. And sometimes the best ways to converse are other times throughout the day is just finding opportunities. But if we could take the moments of stress in our lives and realize that the one who's going to solve that stress is only the Ribbono Shalom, that we can transform this moment of Vayigashi Love Yehuda, the moments of stress, of potential Melchama, of whatever that battle, and we all face our own battles, and it, there are different scopes to what those battles are going to be. But whatever those battles are, if we turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we realize that you're the one who can help solve it, and we don't, again, as we often experience, we're so stressed out about things and we go through a, a davening and we go through a Shemona Esrei and we realize you didn't pay attention because of the stress. And during those very moments, we could turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and we could say, help me. Be part. This, this, is, this is what I need you for. This is, I'm turning to you because I can't do it alone. I'm only going to, to, to succeed with your help. And it, it reminds me of that story, the famous story of Rav Baruch Ber, the When it comes to Rav Baruch Ber, the great Rosh Hashiva is known so much for his Birkat Shmuel, for his Lundus. But there's a story that went from his youth, that in his youth, Rav Baruch Ber once got in trouble with his uh, father, whatever it was that Rav Baruch Ber on, on, on a Rav Baruch Ber level could have possibly done wrong. But on that level, Rav, Rav Baruch Ber gets uh, scolded by his father, and he goes off into the corner crying, as most children do when scolded by a parent. And a little while later, his father peeks in the corner and sees that he's davening Shimon Esrei. He decided to daven Mincha. He doesn't understand. Why is he davening? There's plenty of time left today to still daven. Oda Yom Gadol, there's plenty of time left. Why is he davening right now? And he turns to me afterwards and says, why are you davening? And he said, if I'm crying, if I have these tears, why should the tears go to waste? Instead, I put them into my Shimon Esrei. I daven for Kalgus. I daven for whatever it was that he was davening for. But that's an experience, that's an understanding of what tefillah is about, that tefillah is about a relationship. 
And hopefully we can take that inspiration of Yehuda, this lesson of Vayigash, of Pigisha, that's the Mechama, that's the Pius, but it's also a Tefillah, that any battles that we should face in our lives, HaKadosh Baruch Hu should help us to succeed, should help us be able to turn to Him, and that we should become people who know and understand that our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is what defines and what infuses everything that we do with meaning, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu should hopefully answer all our Tefillos, Yimalei komish alos libeinu l'tova. Amen. Amen. That was beautiful. And I love how you ended with a bracha. Thank you all um, for listening. Thank you, Barry Holdman. And thank you, Barry Zatz, for thank joining us. Thank you so us. much for having me. This was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. We should do it again. Have a great week and a great Shabbos, everybody.